0: The name of the podcast that you are listening to is Tall Cast. I will stand in the way of a bullet. I will run through the forest of flames. I will climb the highest mountains just to show you.
1: You may recognize this song from Tommy Wiseau's masterpiece, The Room.
0: A phenomenal film.
1: Well, yeah. Zach and I have decided to begin every show with a song from the soundtrack of the most recent film that we watched. And the most recent film that we watched before this week's film
0: was The Room. It was my first time seeing The Room. I had strangely high expectations. It was a big day for you, really. It was, yeah. Everyone remembers their first
1: time. Mm-hmm. Watching the room. Oh yes, it was my third time seeing the film, and I'm starting to pick up themes that I didn't notice the first few times.
0: All those hidden themes. Um, I mean, he put so much effort into all the the deep cinematographic <laughs> meaning. I mean, it's there's a lot of detail in every single scene of that movie. So, so without further digression,
1: yeah. um, I'm Thomas. I'm Zach, and uh, we are a couple of undergrad students.
0: I go to school at Boston University. I study film and television production. I go to school at Brown University. And I have, well, I haven't officially decided what I'm going to major in. I've been taking a lot of classes in computer science and uh, other science based areas, a lot of math. So, just a a quick about me
1: section Um, aside from those two things, I'm passionate about
0: renewable energy and hygiene and i mean because i'm doing this podcast i'm obviously somewhat passionate about film because I mean, that's that's well, kind hope, of what this podcast yeah. is about but i'm not studying film so i've got to clarify yeah. that initially yeah uh and beyond that i i mean i'm i'm big into outdoor activities and uh things of that nature well, also i'm not a big fan of uh Introductions, so <laughs> you, you know, and I'm glad that you brought up film, because yeah.
1: each episode, Zach and I are going to be watching a film, and then we're going to spend some time talking about that film, and mm-hmm. uh, if it was a good one, we're going to talk about why it's good, and if it was an absurd film, we're going to talk about the absurdity of the film. It's probably more common for them to be some sort of <laughs> absurd film. We don't anticipate watching a lot of critically acclaimed films. Oh,
0: uh, yes. Critically viewed <laughs> um, by us. By us. And maybe some critics. So, who, who knows?
1: So, after that, we're going to spend a little bit of time each episode on a section that I call Why Isn't This a Thing, which is where I take something, possibly from the film, and ask, may- maybe not from the movie, but probably from the movie, something that seems scientifically outrageous. And I ask Zach, why can't this happen? Or why isn't this a thing?
0: And I, on the spot, try to come up with some sort of explanation of why I think it can or can't work. Right, so this would be like uh, Hovercraft. I mean, Hovercraft, we know work.
1: Well, I guess that won't be this week's then.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, we saw them in the
1: movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and then we're going to dedicate a little bit of time each episode to miscellaneous uh, items, possibly from pop culture, just other things that we want to talk about, perhaps storytelling Mm -hmm. from uh, different events in our lives that we think have been shaping and interesting. So the motion picture that we viewed this week was the generation-defining, Academy-snubbed 007 film titled Die Another Day, starring Pierce Brosnan and Halle Berry. I always considered it Bond on Ice. Well, that's astute, because a good portion of this movie takes place on ice, in an ice palace. A surprisingly smaller portion than I remembered. Well, and that's the other thing, is this is probably the first action movie that I ever watched. Hmm. Well, it came out in 2002, so I could have been seven or eight when I saw it, probably seven. And it's definitely the first Bond film that I remember watching, and I think... I think, aside from maybe the original Star Wars trilogy, it's the first action film I saw.
0: And for me, it's probably something along the same lines. Uh, I may have seen some earlier films, maybe even Bond ones, but I can't really remember them that well. And this is (laughs) the earliest one that I remember. and And it was formative because this was the first movie that I ever
1: saw where girls, women were just so blatantly objectified
0: oh i mean it, it's rampant in this movie I, I
1: i remember seeing this movie and thinking Halle berry is a fox i think she was actually my first crush probably no. her or uh rosamund pike is in this movie oh. yeah she's the other one <laughs> yeah the other girl that bond sleeps with
0: yeah i mean you're forgetting one too there, there's the third one the oh. surprise ending well, it was a <laughs> twist <laughs> The only
1: girl in this movie who's off-limits is Judy Dench. Mm-hmm. I think... Zach and I actually watched the film for this, and we were watching, hoping that there would be someone in the movie who was a female and not supposed to be attractive. And I think the only one who wasn't cast
0: almost solely based on looks was Judy Dench. And in this movie, if you interact with Bond more than once... <laughs> And you're not duty Dutch <laughs> that there is going to be a scene where neither of you are wearing clothes <laughs> it's it's essentially guaranteed. I always got the impression that bond movies were somewhat objectifying women and are, were somewhat uh sexist or, or what, <laughs> what, whatever you whatever you call it a yeah. male power mm. fantasy, but man. I don't remember this one being as bad as it was. <laughs> this yeah. it was. It was hard to watch a couple yeah. times. I was planning originally to write down notes during the movie, <laughs> but I that I, I kind of stopped after the first scene, the first like big sequence, and then I just kind of I kind of fell off, and it turned into complaining about the movie and talking about random other topics over the movie. <laughs> It just kind Which of. I,
1: I feel like that does speak to the entertainment quality of this film. Oh yeah, it's entertaining but not in a watchable way.
0: I mean, we spent a portion of the movie talking about the life cycles and adaptability of buffalo.
1: <laughs> Why, how did we get there, by the way?
0: I I don't recall, <laughs> but it must have been something interesting to go from.
1: <laughs>
0: what what in this movie reminded us uh,
1: reminded of, of buffalo? <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's just start at the top of the film and and talk about the surfing introduction to the movie.
0: Uh, Okay, so the very first scene in this movie is one completely clothed in black, like, stealth gear guy on a surfboard, It's just surfing along, right? (laughs) He's... He's on a very impressive wave because it just lasts for, like, minutes. Yeah. And out of nowhere, from behind him, from inside of the wave, hidden by, tricky, <laughs> from, uh, hidden by tricky camera angles, come two more. <laughs> two more people in identical clothing. So you know, of course, that Bond is, is the one that was shown at the beginning because he's, he's the focus. Right. Right. And apparently they are surfing up to the border between North and South Korea.
1: On, on the North
0: Korean side, uh, but uh, close yeah, to South Korea. Yeah, they're surfing up the well-known beaches of North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> the and, coveted surf
1: of North Korea.
0: Yeah, and, and there's no reason ever given why they would need to surf. <laughs> I mean, they're riding these surfboards. It's revealed later, as soon as they get on land, that the surfboards are just full of spy gear. Like, right, C4, B4. yeah... yeah uh, what like some weird antenna thing and
1: (laughs) i don't know what that
0: was i don't know there was a well the knife that he stuck into the ground and then there was also an antenna a little like a a little little dish dish. yeah yeah yeah.
1: he was trying to get cable
0: yeah i don't don't know but they surfed in the issue is you want to stealthily enter an area especially an area as heavily guarded as (laughs) as north korea And your first instinct, of course, would be to go on top of the water, not under the water. No, that'd be ridiculous. You want to stay on top of the water all the way there where they can see you.
1: The best part was that they weren't even surfing stealthily. He was showing up. Oh,
0: yeah, they were doing tricks. For a few
1: minutes. Surfing in. Over oh, were, were there even title credits at that
0: point? I don't think there no, were. No, there weren't. It was just they waited for the It was just a sequence. guy surfing weirdly, and then it, then it reveals that he's surfing on the sandy beaches of North Korea. Yeah. And so none of this could have been solved with scuba gear or anything like previous Bond films had done. That's not possible oh, at see, all. You're bringing
1: in old cannons. You yeah, haven't seen oh, yeah. any old Bond
0: films. Oh, I mean, you don't need to see Bond films to know that people can, <laughs> to know that can swim. Scuba exists. Scuba gear exists. Yeah but obviously it doesn't in this Bond film, except when he uses it later on. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Well, moving on. We're uh, barely they, into the movie at this point. We are less this is than the first two minutes scene. in. So he goes to North
1: Korea, right, and he's doing this weapons deal, this, like, let's trade a
0: suitcase of diamonds for weapons? I'm not sure. I mean, there's a lot of strange parts. I of don't this think scene. this is because
1: we weren't paying attention. Because I was paying attention enough to know what he was yeah. trading for. I think it was ambiguous.
0: I, I it was something. It no, be, no, 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 yeah. because they brought in all the hovercrafts. Yeah. Yeah. But it was guess... for hovercrafts.
1: He was trading a suitcase of diamonds for hovercrafts. A briefcase, excuse me.
0: I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The North Korean guy who he's dealing with wants was to it show. Zhao? Uh, It was Zao, yeah. Zao. Zao. So he wants (laughs) to show off. Can I call you Zao for the remainder of this show? I mean, that would be confusing. Instead of Zach. Well, then I wouldn't know whether you're talking about me or Diamond Face's buddy. I'm not. (laughs) No, no, no. no. Diamond Face is Zao. Is Zao? Yes.
1: I'm not talking about for the remainder of this episode. I mean the podcast as a whole. Oh, can I call you Zal?
0: I that might cause some problems okay. later on, as I'm... I forget that you have made this rule. and I okay, why, why don't we just Zach we... and nothing else? Uh, like. Yeah, yeah. Before we
1: go any further, I wanna I wanna mention that it is one thirty in the morning on a Thursday night. We <laughs> decided to start watching that another day, and then record this podcast at ten thirty.
0: Yeah, we're starting yeah, sometime around that. This is the beginning of a series of excellent decisions.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well said.
0: So this arms dealer, this weapons dealer, whoever he is from North Korea, wants to show off to Bond who is impersonating some other European guy. <laughs> Uh, who is going to initially who trade all these diamonds. His, the yeah. suitcase and- he wants to show off this weapon. And so he brings in all the hovercraft and he gets up on top of the, the <laughs> hovercraft and he pulls out what looks like someone took an AK-47 and just decided, what if I stuck some sci-fi stuff on the top and like <laughs> stick some large blocky parts and like a big weird scope, right? And then he shows it off to them. They've already revealed that the North Koreans have learned who Bond is with their really outdated <laughs> cell phone technology. <laughs> they took a picture of him and then it loaded in, it loaded a poor quality jpeg first and then scanned to improve the image quality. Yes. And then somehow identified him as Bond. They took a picture of him and figured out who he was. So to threaten him, he starts firing this this mystery weapon, this sci-fi weapon, and it makes this sci-fi noise of this classic pew noise as it's shooting out these explosive things pew, and he blows pew. up a helicopter. Yeah. And it was pew, pew. The strangest part of this, though, is not that he does this, because this might fit within a Bond film. It's that this gun never shows up again in the rest of the movie. They introduce this gun, (laughs) and they give it a big scene of introduction and its power, and then they blow up a helicopter with it, and that's it, and that's the end of the gun.
1: And Bond, being uh, cunning as he is, Mm -hmm. has loaded the briefcase, the briefcase of diamonds with C4 (laughs) under the diamonds. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: They would never check that. That's and absurd.
1: once things get real bad for Bond, he detonates the C4. Well, the diamonds go everywhere, but mostly they go into Zhao's face. Yeah. Where they stay for the duration of the film. <laughs> we actually couldn't figure out a reason why they would do that. They're all on the surface. It looks pretty, like, they, they don't go into his skull. They don't go into his head or, like, kill him, which they probably would. If you had diamond shrapnel, I would think that that would... Just regular shrapnel. And tear your brain and, yeah. and kill you. But instead they all stayed on his skin, and
0: the, they weren't picked off at any point? No, that would be ridiculous. Those diamonds are keeping him alive somehow, <laughs> so that it would be impossible to remove these sparkling diamonds <laughs> that are tastefully arranged on his face. Zach mentioned while we were watching it that he had
1: become Edward Cullen
0: from Twilight. <laughs> I don't know his name, but I was going to make a generic Twilight joke. But <laughs> for you, you've gone all in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this, this diamond guy, right, who now has diamonds in his face that somehow all went at him point first, but only went <laughs> partway into his face. This guy, his character design seems to me like if someone asked a 10-year-old to design a Bond villain and they're like okay this guy he deals with diamonds what should we do and the Tindu like why don't we put diamonds on his face <laughs> diamond man <laughs> he keeps his diamonds for the rest of the movie <laughs> somehow he loses his hair too but the diamonds remain
1: diamonds are forever Zach.
0: they are forever
1: were you just waiting for me to say
0: that but at least he went to Jared's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we're barely into the movie <laughs> at this point We aren't even to the title sequence We're not even to the weird title sequence So the whole title sequence was They're very proud of the early CGI that they had there
1: Well, And they got Madonna to do this hyper-electric song And it it was like terribly auto-tuned There probably wasn't a single real instrument Besides a synth Oh, I doubt it yeah. For this title So pretty much Bond is just getting tortured in North Korea for a a nebulous amount of time. By the way, before we go any further, I just want to mention that Pierce Brosnan, though he has the face of James Bond, is arguably the most dad-like James Bond to ever (laughs) exist. If you look at a picture of Daniel Craig without a shirt on, you're like, okay, yeah, I wouldn't want to fight him. You look at Pierce Brosnan and you think it's like he was Bond at one point. 15 years ago, and then he went and had four kids with his wife and sat on the couch and drank beer for 10 years, and then MI6 got really desperate, and they were like, "Pierce, we need you! Please come back and work for us again!
0: (laughs) Even though this whole movie is him working outside of MI6, (laughs) but, but unlike other Bond movies where this can be a plot line, it essentially doesn't really affect anything at all.
1: No, 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 no It's is. just
0: regular yeah, Bond movies. But he's, he's still not in contact with them, but in normal Bond movies, he wouldn't contact them anyway. There's really no difference. So in lieu of going through this entire movie, <laughs> scene by scene... <laughs> Which is what we've done up to this point. <laughs> I feel like we should slow down a bit. Slow down? And by slow down, I mean speed through the movie. So what we should do is not deal with the whole plot, but we should look at specific scenes along the way.
1: Okay, okay, let's get to the most chauvinistic scene of the entire film, which was Halle Berry's entrance scene in Cuba where every character was smoking a cigar.
0: Okay, that that's a good candidate <clears throat> for that.
1: So, and this is probably why I had a crush on Halle Berry as a boy. Um, I was a boy. Halle Berry wasn't a boy. I was a young boy. So, the first shot of Halle Berry is this glorious swimsuit ad of her coming out of the ocean, shaking the water off, and I think Bond is looking at her through binoculars. Yep. yep and then she in slow motion walks toward the camera in waist-deep water and it, you know, which is all
0: sparkling behind right. her and yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: so then she she comes ashore, and they have the most contrived conversation
0: about. I, it was a metaphor of predators. I'm, I'm going to stop you here and point out that every conversation that they have <laughs> in the entire movie is very contrived and consists entirely of puns. Well, yeah, a Halle Berry's characters. Ca- Halle Berry's character Jinx is her name. It's only, like, mentioned once. <laughs> speaks,
1: speaks almost entirely in puns. <laughs> uh, so Halle Berry comes ashore, and James says, So they call you jinx, son. Huh? She says, Born on Friday the 13th. And then I'm not really sure what the rest of the conversation was about, except about predators coming out at night and bird watching, and Halle Berry being like, You free till the morning? And him being like, I'm free. Are you free? And her saying, Yeah. And then instant cut to sex scene. Yeah,
0: but I want to point out that that one sentence of her saying that she was born Friday the thirteenth is one of maybe two or three pieces of exposition for her character, character development, character in development in at all.
1: It's like that, and I work for the NSA, Yeah. which is
0: I, way later in the movie. That's like three quarters of the way <laughs> through the movie. Yeah, and the rest of the movie is just her making bad puns and her existing as an object. <laughs> If this was your first Bond movie, this would be a really strange introduction.
1: And it was for us. It starts in North
0: Korea, and then it just cuts to Cuba. Then it just cuts to a sex scene, like, almost immediately. (laughs) You have two characters that have interacted for one meaningful sentence and a bunch of puns. (laughs) Then all bets are off. Well, they're still in Cuba. Right, prior to this movie going everywhere else, they quickly try to describe one of the major gimmicks of the movie, which is that they just change actors for the main antagonist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so they change him to, like, Conan and Brian (laughs) lookalike.
1: So the thing that happens is the, oh, we missed the Saved by the Bell joke.
0: Oh, we did. Okay, so pretty much earlier on in the film
1: when they're still in North Korea, Bond is fighting. He's not a prince of North Korea, but... He's, he's the general's son. He's some, who's also in power. Yeah, some North Korean military dynasty.
0: Leader with power.
1: Some guy who's like a little bit younger than Bond. And they're fighting on top of this hovercraft. And then the hovercraft goes off a cliff. But Bond grabs
0: onto a
1: bell which is then ringing.
0: He go, he grabs onto the big log that they use to like ring the bell. Yeah. He, yeah. he
1: grabs onto that and he's hanging it. Then he jumps down and he makes the most like 45-year-old man sound as he's jumping off. He goes, Urgh! and then he yeah. lands on the ground and goes, saved by the bell, which yep. just speaks to the whole integrity of this film, I think. So to put that back into place, the guy who fell off, the cliff, right? On the hovercraft. Yes. Essentially, he comes back later in the movie as a different actor. And the way that they explain that is that there's this plastic surgeon in Cuba who's really gifted. He's an artist. Yeah. And yeah. he
0: uses some sort of weird, unexplained gene therapy, which involves flashing lights. Right. And <laughs> Which all- involves a rainbow thing that they put over their faces. Which also means that they don't need to sleep either. Somehow he he cures the sleep problem. To do this facial reconfiguration surgery where they just change him into this other actor, they explain that one of the necessities for this procedure (laughs) is DNA from expendable people. And one of the strangest parts of this is that they just want DNA, which can be gotten from every cell from in the body thing. but they specify that getting this DNA kills these people and then they <laughs> list off people that they've killed where they're like oh you know no one cares about the homeless and orphans people no one's going to no one's going to remember and look for did they say runaways i think they might have said runaways too yeah, yeah. so somehow they have such an inefficient method of gathering DNA <laughs> that they are killing people for something that exists in every portion of their body so that's unethical to say the least and also completely scientifically completely unnecessary unnecessary and illogical and just <laughs> probably inefficient really because then you have to deal with ignorant the body. <laughs> uh, um, so okay fast forward here we've re- we've introduced the conan o'brien version of the antagonist who is the same military leader from North Korea earlier yes. in
1: the film that is assumed to have? Tried Who
0: conveniently fellow. has a British accent, a, a stellar one, an authentic yeah. British accent. They mentioned that he learned English at Harvard, but he and got Oxford. and Oxford. He so I guess I, both. yeah, I guess he gets the the British accent from Oxford. But so, he didn't
1: have it when he was North Korean.
0: Gene therapy. That's all. They, they also gene therapied his knowledge.
1: There's a quick. Plot hole worth mentioning that Bond is reading a magazine feature on this guy, right? His name's Gustav Graves.
0: Well, you remember his name.
1: Anyway, there's this feature that Bond is reading in some magazine about him, and it's like the King of Diamonds. And I can kind of help but thinking somewhere the journalist who is interviewing him must have been like, why did you just appear a year ago? Like, where have you been yeah. for the first 34 years of your life?
0: So he becomes some overnight success, right? And no one asks any questions. Who is just the best, and everyone completely trusts him. And they trust him enough to control from his fancy ice palace.
1: Wait a minute, we're
0: skipping the the shining light of this film. Oh, of course, of course.
1: So before we get to the ice palace, Bond goes down to the... He he goes under the um, tower bridge. Yes, yeah. and Q is down there. Who is from Monty Python? Yes, it's uh, John Cleese. Yes, yeah, it's John and Cleese. He's Q, and he's down there. And they walk through this like archive room of all these old gadgets, and it was a really cool callback to to a couple other old Bond films. It was it was really the highlight of this film. We are inarguably painting this film in a bad light, but really yeah. this was a good scene in a bad.
0: Bad movie. Although I would say that it was a good scene because it relied on previous movies. On previous <laughs> success. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, it's good in the fact that the thing it called back to was separately good. <laughs> <laughs> so they just go through the, you know, there's a jetpack and
1: different things, and the conversation is listenable for the first time in the oh, movie. Yeah. Then you see his invisible car. Is invisible Aston Martin Vanquish adaptive camouflage, right? Which we actually have one sitting on the desk here in Fort Base Studio. It's not invisible, it, it, it's I can see it clearly. It's a physical Hot Wheels. Car. I'm really interested in Hot Wheels, and especially James Bond Hot Wheels, so I, I bought this one.
0: Of course, so we, it's from a different movie, I think. Yeah, it's it? from
1: Casino Royale, but uh, it looks the same, looks about the same. I'm really excited for Spectre to come out because I think there's going to be a new Hot Wheels. I don't, Bond in a turtleneck is a special thing, you know?
0: Hmm. Anyway. Is he in a turtleneck in Spectre?
1: Yeah, in the in the poster.
0: Oh, all oh, right, he is. Yeah, it's like a mock yeah. neck, but it's cool. Oh, I also want to point out another thing about this underground laboratory where Q is. Bond spends a fair amount of time playing with the gadgets from previous movies. Right. And he treats them like he hasn't seen them before. (laughs) He goes around playing with these things and, like, holding on to them and pressing the button and being surprised at what happens. (laughs) When, in previous films, it's been shown that he used these extensively. So he's somehow forgotten... All of the value of this, and you could argue that the Bond films don't have any continuity and that they're all separate stories, but this whole room is continuity. This whole room is a collection of continuity.
1: It's a complicated directorial choice to decide that... This Bond should have no knowledge of his past decisions. I'm sure they put a lot conditions. of thought
0: into it and they didn't just Just like everything it. in the movie, Oh, yes, yes. Sarcastic Zach makes an appearance. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> Me? <laughs> Be sarcastic. Never gets old. Oh, it never does. Later on in the movie, we finally get to the ice the bond on ice that i have remembered from this film the most memorable part of this film for me was the scenes on the ice <laughs> even though it's only like a third of the film they finally get to the ice palace where the new version of the old antagonist who with the new face he <laughs> <laughs> the
1: new actor okay new actor. for a second imagine the disappointment in the actor who played the north korean bad guy
0: I and he was be like, "Oh, villain. sweet!
1: I'm in the whole film. I'm and the big Bond villain. That's sees gonna be that, great." That after 15 minutes of being in the movie, they trade him out for a Caucasian version of himself.
0: Yeah, it, it, almost immediately, they just remove his character, replace him with a generic white male <laughs> with with a British accent.
1: Yeah. this guy made his entrance into the film as the white version by parachuting into London to be knighted, and
0: his parachute was
1: the United Kingdom flag. When
0: they introduce his character after he gets knighted, he later on gives did a... They show s- him
1: knighted, did they?
0: No, they just cut that part. They couldn't afford to get the queen in this movie. <laughs> and they already had Judy Dench doing one role, so <laughs> they couldn't afford for her to do the other role. There was a specific scene and a quote that Tom here really liked when he was giving his speech.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, so at the Ice Palace...
0: He's revealing this, um, this weapon. No, it's a humanitarian device. Well, it, yeah, it's, disgusting. Which later it's may this turn out giant
1: mirror in space that just sends sunlight back onto the Earth yeah. at nighttime, but also it can be used as a space laser essentially, mm-hmm. that beams direct sunlight back to Earth and burns ice caps mostly. Mm-hmm. Or just people. Or the border between North and South Korea. That's the plan. And, uh, <laughs> well, that happened. Yeah. So while this is happening, while he's ex- doing the exposition of what Icarus, as they call it, is, he mentions, and I quote, those little shards of heaven known as diamonds. It's
0: such a weird phrase. <laughs> For so many reasons, not the least of which is that diamonds come from the ground. <laughs> They don't come from the sky. I just don't know what possessed the writer of this film
1: and made him think that that was the best way to describe diamonds.
0: Little shards of heaven. Little shards of heaven. So another thing about this giant space laser. The initial idea, what he proposed what it would do is it would reflect sunlight onto portions of the earth when those portions were not lit when it was night there so that people could grow crops year-round. So this somehow more economically feasible device that was, that was cheaper than using electric lighting. <laughs> <laughs> In the whole process of a guy that was rich from diamonds, him putting this into space, no one once determined that this thing, this obvious curved mirror, could be used as a weapon. As a
1: weapon, yeah.
0: Even though its whole purpose is to collect and focus light (laughs) onto a small portion of the earth. And it also has these convenient things built into it that tilt the mirror a little bit more to focus the light into a laser. He just, with his mass wealth from the diamonds, apparently paid off all of the (laughs) governing agencies which would monitor this sort of thing going into space, impeding the space shuttle and, you know, impeding the the International Space Station and all that because it's a giant mirror in space. He's gotten past all these issues and he just put it in space and everyone's all happy about the life-saving capabilities of Shining more light into places.
1: Everyone's clapping. Everyone was excited about it.
0: This whole idea of shining light onto places that don't get enough sunlight to grow crops really is strange to me because some of the poorest areas in the world aren't, sunlight aren't lacking deprived. sunlight. <laughs> the areas oh. of the world, that are they're lacking water for the most part. You need water and you need soil, which is fertile, to grow crops. We have plenty of sunlight. Sunlight (laughs) is not the issue. The issue is everything else related to growing crops. (laughs) But the problem he's solving is a problem that doesn't exist. Maybe it's intended for people up in the northern countries, like up in the Nordic countries and up in Iceland or Greenland or wherever he is. Maybe it's meant for them so that they get enough light so that they can melt the ice (laughs) and grow crops there year round. But the issue is those areas are not lacking food. (laughs) This is not a humanitarian effort. This is a a needless, senseless effort, which is just out of nowhere. Which has clear evil implications as well. Oh, yes. They put a lot of thought into this and they didn't just, you know, hand wave it away with charity and sunlight. Right.
1: So while Bond is at the ice tower, you know, there's a lot of different action. Palace. Sorry. Parking garage. The ice parking garage, which it becomes later. Yes. He uses his invisible Vanquish to some of it. Invisible
0: mobile. It really
1: looked pretty cool a couple times. Like it when you would it get did. out, you would see the inside but not the outside of the car. And I was like, mm-hmm. ah. It was exactly like that. Oh yeah, I, mean, I was sitting. I was in sitting unison.
0: right next to Tom, and then as soon as he started making that noise, I figured, well, it deserves it. <laughs> So there's another character that Bond
1: tries to have sex with, in what one might think to be the worst fashion possible, and it works like a charm.
0: They later tried to retroactively kind of fix this interaction, but the way it's portrayed is just nonsensical.
1: It's it's Rosamund Pike of the hit film Gone Girl, Mm -hmm. and she's young. She gosh, do we know how old she was? I have no idea. She she looked like she was 17, but she was probably in her 20s. Yeah. And a couple different times in the movie, before they get to the Ice Palace, she's like, Bond, I know what you're all about, and you're all about... She says, sex for dinner, death for breakfast. And Bond's like, well, I guess you've read my file. And her- multiple times before this interaction, her- she says, it's not going to work on me, Bond.
0: I'm not like the other girls. Her entire character is built around this idea that she is a strong female (laughs) character and she will not be easily seduced by Bond and will actually have interactions with him that are respectful and she will act as a peer of Bond.
1: So they're at the Ice Palace and they have the same type of interaction. She says, well, it's not going to work on me. Within 30 seconds... Of this, they are both naked and crawling into bed in into the an, impo- an ice bed in the
0: ice suite. Oh yes, it was essentially immediate.
1: He's so sexy
0: that you just forget every part of your character. He's, it's like it, it's it's like he seduced the actress, <laughs> and so she forgot <laughs> to it's keep like the, the character. It's like he seduced the writer.
1: The writer, oh was, yeah.
0: was like, no, she's not gonna do that. But
1: then he saw Pierce Brosnan shirtless, and he was like, okay, anyone would. So mm-hmm. she will. So there's another part at the ice palace where Bond drills under the ice or lasers a hole in the ice actually mm-hmm. with his watch, with his laser watch. Lasers it's surprisingly a hole.
0: thin ice.
1: Incredibly thin. It's for th- for driving cars and building an entire palace. Normally
0: that the... ice is feet thick, but this was you know like a couple inches. It's this like was like
1: five inches. Yeah,
0: yeah. He he lasers a hole in the ice and then puts this
1: thing in his mouth. Which reminded me of the Phantom Menace when they put those like rebreather things in their mouths and then swim for hundreds of feet and have no trouble breathing. Yep. He did one of these and we'll get into that in a minute in the why isn't this a thing section where Zach will try to explain it to me. Let's finish off this movie real quick. <laughs> let's let's run down the what rest a, of the what movie. What else even happened? Uh, pretty much Jinx was about to get lasered to death. A lot of the, lasers in this the, movie. The North Koreans are like, who are you working for? She's like, yo, mama. Which seemed like an interesting
0: response under these circumstances. That's an actual line in this movie, I want to clarify. That was an
1: actual response. Bond saves her from drowning. He's like, who are you working for? She's like, NSA. And he's like, oh, they told me it was my mama.
0: Oh, by the way, this was the second sentence of character development. Right.
1: Evil British guy is on a plane. Bond and Jinx board the plane. Essentially kill everyone on board. Oh, Jinx is having a great battle with Rosamund Pike. What was her name? I don't know. She was also working for MI6 at some point, and she turned out to be a double agent. Triple agent. She was a triple agent. Her and <laughs> Jinx are having a fist fight, hand-to-hand combat.
0: In a plane that's out of control in, in a plane plummeting from the sky. that's crashing
1: for 20 minutes. Oh, yes. And somehow a book has been stabbed with a
0: throwing knife. One and of them held up a book to like catch the knife out of the air.
1: I think it was a knife was thrown and it hit the book. Something, something like and that. And yeah.
0: as Rosman Pike is approaching
1: Jinx to like you know finish her, she says, "I can read your every move." And Jinx grabs the book and s- stabs it. The
0: the hits book, her on the chest the, with it. The book still has a knife in it. Right. So and she, and she grabs the book, grabs the is, handle of the knife, which, which is, has the book along with it. Yes,
1: pierced by the knife. Stabs it into her chest and then kicks the handle of the knife further into her chest and says, read this. Which was necessary, yeah. Expletive. And thus, Rosamund Pike dies. God rest her soul.
0: During this scene, the plane is going down because the pilots have died or something. Wait, okay, yeah, real quick.
1: Rosamund Pike was 21 at the time.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Wait, no, hold on.
0: 23. Math is hard.
1: That, that was hard. How did I do yeah. that so bad?
0: She was 23. <laughs> so the reason the plane is going down in this scene was that previously the pilots had been killed and then there was got a, a, a hole opened up in the plane and people started flying out movie style movie <laughs> style
1: oh, that's my favorite
0: yeah. yeah that had caused the plane to start going down and then in the process of going down it goes straight through the space laser <laughs> this space laser which by the way had been blowing up and completely destroying everything in its path on its way to the north and south korean border because all they need to do, apparently, to reignite hostilities between those two countries is destroy the minefield between them. Right. That's all that's needed. Right. right. Is just a third party to come in and destroy a minefield, and then, bam, back to war. So they fly right through the space laser, just right straight through it, and it burns off some of the coating on the plane, and a few more sparks fly inside, and that's it. So once again, we have shown that any vehicle that Bond is within becomes much more invulnerable. He has repeatedly survived crashes in all of his vehicles, whether that's a speeding rocket sled, which he then turns into windsurfing, or kiteboarding, I guess. Or whatever it was. <laughs> and also his car when he's driving it through the, through the ice palace is also invulnerable. And now this plane which has flown through Icarus, through Icarus, which is a really poorly named space laser. Everyone knows if you're going to name something out of Greek mythology, you need to name it after the most famous failure in all of Greek mythology. <laughs> you name it after Icarus. Perhaps it was Borshadowing. Maybe it was a little bit of foreshadowing, you know? Maybe it would have been better to... Maybe we're not giving it the credit it deserves. Oh, you know, maybe not. I suggested the name Prometheus, which is, I feel like, a much better name, which would foreshadow... The laser being actual fire, because Prometheus, you know, brought the fire to the humans. Right. But also, the fire represented the ability to have civilization, so the light from the thing growing crops would have fit with that metaphor, so it would have been a good name. This movie is just full of the first idea someone had. I, I guess
1: the Icarus thing is just like death associated with sunlight.
0: Which. Within the context of the space laser it makes sense, right? But but within the context of the context of the space laser, which is it giving light to people to grow right. crops, yeah, no, it doesn't. Make is... sense. makes no sense at it, all.
1: It would be really weird. I would feel uncomfortable.
0: I would feel uncomfortable if Icarus was the one letting me grow my crops at night for some reason. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so then, pretty much, they escape. um
0: the plane's going down. The plane's
1: going down, but they get in a helicopter and then fly away, and that's cool. And then there are some Ferraris.
0: They're stuck face first to the ground because they fell out of the plane. Prior to this, I want to point out another missed opportunity of this film, which really bothered me. One of the coolest things you can do with a helicopter is the emergency landing procedure which involves tilting the helicopter to point more toward the ground so that you can speed up the rotors by the falling helicopter and the wind spinning the rotors. And then right before you hit the ground, you pull up, and that residual spin that's that's available in the rotors will be enough to slow the helicopter's descent enough to land it. This is called auto-rotating, and it is a really incredible maneuver Which is absurd when you think about it. Like planes, they can just glide right in, but helicopters, they have to dive toward the ground and then pull up at the last minute. But what Bond does in this movie is the helicopter's just falling and then he keeps pressing a button and (laughs) eventually the button works and he pulls up from the ground at the last minute. So it's the same effect, but it's just a much worse execution and just makes him seem completely incompetent. And then there's this really weird scene at the very end,
1: well, right before the very last Two shots.
0: So there was one female character <laughs> oh, that, that the movie forgot to have a sex scene with. <laughs> the writers realized we may, we created oh, no. Bond. We forgot to make this one sexy. Bond interacted with this person more than once, but we don't have the scene. What do we do? What do we do? We better just shove it in at the end.
1: So she goes into this virtual reality machine that Sean had, Sean
0: Sean Sean Connery, (laughs) that
1: Pierce had used earlier in the film to train for bad guys situations
0: in this photorealistic, super elaborate reality. Yeah, it
1: it was awesome, and he just had these like shades on that did the whole. Yeah, Uh, see the movie. (laughs) <laughs> no, don't, don't. You, uh, you don't need to you don't so need to. there's this girl character and and bond comes in and like seduces her and she's like oh james and then he comes in and they make out and she starts taking her top off and then q walks into the room but like through a wall and she's like "Ah," and he's like what are you doing in here and then it turns out she was in the virtual reality machine
0: fantasizing about bond
1: it would have Maybe made sense as a deleted scene or a post-credit scene. Or if
0: Bond had gone back to MI6. But it was just absurd. But the final the final scene reveals that he didn't go back and he spent his time with Halle uh, Berry on a hill in a little hut playing with diamonds.
1: In her belly button. Yes. Was where he was placing them. I also want to point out this is Pierce Brosnan's last film as Bond. I wonder why. Maybe for good reason.
0: Possibly for good reason.
1: I remember being, like, disappointed when he wasn't cast again as Bond because I was 10. I was like, who's...
0: What? Who replaced him? But he's Was it Daniel, Daniel Craig? Craig. Yeah, yeah straight Craig. But I had played all the
1: video games, like Nightfire, everything or nothing. Oh, yeah.
0: I think I played Goldfinger, like, on Nintendo 64. You mean Goldeneye? or Is that it? Goldeneye's the famous one, yeah. Goldfinger was a movie, too, and might have had a game. But the game that defined the first-person shooter genre was Goldeneye. Goldeneye. Well, then it was that one, yeah. But did did Goldeneye have Pierce Brosnan in it? I know, interestingly enough, they made a remake of the Goldeneye game. Yeah. Because it
1: was... GoldenEye is Pierce Brosnan.
0: Ah, okay. They made a remake of that game because it was so genre-defining. But in the later remake, they decided that they would make it an updated one, so all the technology was equivalent what was updated, and so was the Bond. And yeah, it was... In that one, they had Daniel Craig.
1: Craig, yeah. But yeah, this was his last film. Pierce Brosnan's last film was James Bond. You know, this has been a little bit of a depressing episode so far. It, it I, has been. I, I, <laughs> I hate to rag on movies so bad. <laughs> I like movies a lot. And some... This I, one... I, I don't I, want to... I like to
0: complain about movies, but I also like movies. I don't want to make it
1: seem like this movie is only bad. Like, it's not The Room. Oh, nowhere close. It, it was a good film. Oh, yeah. At a couple parts, objectively. But yeah. then, at most
0: parts, there are some serious flaws. Uh I would say all in all, this was a maybe a mediocre film. Yeah, I mean it was like fun to watch a couple of times. Like there was cool yeah. action, and it was a popcorn film. It was yeah, a film that
1: it, exactly it would have been awesome in theaters at yeah, the time, especially. Yeah, but to watch it now, it's not a lasting film. It's, just, it's <laughs> yeah, you got to be ready. Now let's get into what I've been thinking about all week. Oh, and all especially week, especially since we watched. The film. Why isn't this a thing? The rebreather, and actually, this episode I'm going to
0: ask for two. Oh. I also
1: want you to explain to me why the invisible vanquish can't happen. That's the car that Bond drives.
0: Okay, okay. So, the rebreather, as displayed in the movie, is a tiny little silver cylinder. Right, it's just like on Phantom Menace. Yeah, with, with what looks right. like miniature like gas tanks on two sides and a mouthpiece in the middle.
1: If even. Right. Like, it kind of just looks like...
0: It looks like an aluminum tube, maybe. It's
1: like a mouth guard.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the way it's used in the movie is it allows Bond to just breathe underwater for a while. What this is, is an existing technology, which is the rebreather, as you know, and...
1: Wait, so that is a thing?
0: A rebreather is a thing, but they're usually they they're actually all much larger <laughs> because a rebreather relies on recycling air that you breathe out right right so that you can breathe it in again okay. and, and i believe it it also holds a stu- a supply of oxygen so that it can continue to provide you with oxygenated air and it's used in certain situations but it's not it hasn't like replaced all of the equipment in all the scuba diving industry it's useful in some situations and i'm not completely sure exactly where and why but the purpose of them is to not have a large tank of air and not to waste all the air they just want to reuse the air and i'm not sure i think they have co2 filters in them too so that you don't poison yourself with your own air that you're breathing out so that's what the rebreather is, and it's not really feasible in this movie, I would say, because it's just so small. And that's the way most Bond gadgets are, is that they're just too small to be real, but they're often things that exist, but just can't be that small. Right. And this one, I believe there's a physical limit <laughs> of the size you need for a rebreather, which is enough air in it so that it can circulate the air that you're breathing but this little tiny tube does not serve that purpose
1: right and then okay so what about the invisible last time
0: so what they describe in in the film is uh basically a car that can turn invisible, but it does it through adaptive camouflage.
1: They did explain it in the movie. They said it takes pictures of whatever's on the other side. Yeah. But that doesn't make any sense to me. If you weren't viewing it from the exact right angle, and by right I mean correct, not 90 degrees, then it would be an image of something that's not directly behind from where you're looking, right?
0: Yeah, so this is the central problem with this idea. It is a thing. The idea makes sense to hide something. You would put a screen in front of it and take a picture of what you would normally view and put that on the screen. Right. Yeah. Right. And then they just thought, what if we just put this around a whole car? When the car turns on its invisibility, it does this weird digital transition, which is not what a screen would look like when it turns (laughs) on. It's just conveniently, (laughs) this is technology. Ooh, magic. (laughs) So the reason that this is an issue is exactly that. It's the angle of view. It's the, When you look at a screen, right, it's a two-dimensional screen. Even if it's wrapped around a three-dimensional object, screens are two-dimensional. It's a flat surface. So you can't expect the flat surface to show you different things depending on the angle you view it at. Right? At, which at which you, you view, view it. it. <laughs> Got to be grammatically correct here. I mean, I do... I don't take English classes there, but... <laughs> no. You didn't have to take English... <laughs> there's no base requirements. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's all fancy. There ones. are no base requirements. Uh wash vegetables. There are requirements for each major, but oh. English majors require English requirements. <laughs> and the only requirement is you take a writing class. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. Well, I had to do two writing classes.
0: You have to take one in your first two years and one in your second two years. And that's oh, it. right. Uh, yeah. Okay. But a large number of the classes qualify as writing classes, it's just classes you do writing in.
1: You know what I realized? I don't think we ever introduced the name of the show. Oh. We may have, but I don't think we did. Well, I mean, we can
0: introduce it now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is Tallcast with Tom and Zach. We already introduced ourselves, so we're introducing ourselves again. But just so you know, I'm Zach. I'm Tom. Spelled T-H-O-M. It's not spelled that way. It is. It's not going to be spelled that way on the website, so you'll be able to check the website (laughs) to (laughs) confirm the way his name is spelled. (laughs) And there are no H's in his name. (laughs) Yes, In his full name, there might. There There are! (laughs) Who's to say? There is. There is. One. There's one. The name of the podcast that you are listening to is Tall Tallcast. Just that's so that that you was know.
1: perfect. Wow, that should just maybe
0: be. I'll just put this in the front of the podcast yeah, so that people will absolutely. stop, and then I'll leave it in here when we're talking, so oh, that, that way people will know what part it came from when they got <laughs> to it. Oh yeah, it'll be like it'll be a callback. It'll, it'll be, be like, a, a,
1: like like a special treat. Yeah, it'll be know, a forced
0: callback stuff. to a previous part. It'll oh, be great. Man. Yeah, that's and, sophisticated. So I want to point out a comparison we were making when talking about this movie to further talk about this invisible car we started talking about the mission impossible films and how they were kind of like an american version of the bond films maybe but i would say that they tend to be somewhat more small scale and a little more realistic and i want to give an example of in mission impossible three or no four the one without a title, Ghost Protocol. Ghost Protocol. Is that the new one, or no, it's the, the new one is... Like Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation, yeah. So in Ghost Protocol, there is a scene where they are trying to hide a portion of a hallway. And the way... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way they hide the portion of this hallway is they have a screen, and they project the image of the hallway on the screen. But they fix the problem that is present within this invisible car and what they do is they can track the person's eyes so that they can therefore calculate the perspective that they would have and adjust the image to match their perspective so if they move to the right the perspective is different but will be displayed as different because the computer is tracking their eye movements and that way it works convincingly so that
1: would only work but it says one person
0: only works for one person. They even cover this in the movie, where two people show up and it starts flipping perspectives oh, between them. Oh yeah, yeah. So, yeah that, so that's like that's the correct usage. Than this one, it's least. almost like they put more thought into it. it. Well, it's also a later film. Yeah, when the technology was maybe more understood. Is this a real thing? Do we ever actually use that? So uh, all of these individual yeah. technologies exist and are likely to have been put together by someone at some point. And I would say it's one of these technologies that it's likely to exist. It might exist in the public or at least some organization has tried it at some point. Probably the NSA. Halle Berry. Yeah, maybe more like the other agencies that aren't just spending all their time dealing with data. Yeah. We don't have the technology to make something transparent. Because the idea of this was to essentially digitally make it transparent, but it would only work for one person. And if they had shown that in the movie, that would have been great. That would have been cool. (laughs) And that would have been feasible. But in this movie, what they do is they they go with another example of them taking a shallow understanding of a topic and just kind of hand-waving it away (laughs) and saying, it uses cameras so that you can see what's behind it. And that would make sense at a surface level. But it doesn't make sense when you think about the changing perspective of the person, which is exactly the issue.
1: It's so hot in here. It's very hot in here.
0: No, we're almost done. We can we can finish this. Yeah, there's only so much oxygen there's here. Too. Only so much. We're just breathing it all in. If only we had a rebreather. That's definitely the next
1: thing on our on our list of improvements is AC.
0: rebreathers. AC. Oh, not rebreathers. No. Oh man, that's disappointing.
1: That's. I can't afford that. I won't ever be able to afford that, Zachary. <laughs> Dear Zachary, understand that I can't afford that.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, maybe when all the podcast bucks start rolling in, and <laughs> yeah. yeah. we start making tons of money, which is obviously the intention of this podcast—just just a
1: few weeks, probably. Oh,
0: yeah, sure. Well, this one episode's just gonna—we're <laughs> just gonna rake in the money. <laughs> uh the money's just gonna flow you know what
1: you know what i get really tired of this isn't related to film at all okay i get really tired <laughs> okay i'm on board with that all right <laughs> I get really tired of uh of every night when wanna... i turn on and this isn't every night that i turn on the news but every night if i choose to turn on the news oh, yes like dateline or something
0: wait is that news some might consider it news.
1: Is it, it, it's like the like, gossipy one, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, every single time that I see this show,
0: and I don't turn this
1: on of my own accord. It's like playing okay. in my house okay. sometimes. Yeah. Um, I'll walk into the room, and every single night, they mention something going viral going viral and that is the specific buzz term that they use is this has gone viral
0: the blogosphere is all talking about it I am so
1: frustrated with that term like is there no better way to phrase that because every single night they say that something has gone viral
0: you forget that television is an outdated medium
1: how's that? Let's talk about this.
0: (laughs) You forget that the entire idea of television news is something that will probably not exist in the form that it does in 10, 20 years. Why? Right. Because –
1: People are getting news from their phones.
0: The reason you have a 24-hour news network – is not so that you can watch it for 24 hours a day. That's what they would hope you do, but that's not the reason for it.
1: That's that's death. That's certain death. Yeah. If you watch TV only.
0: The purpose for it is so that you can turn on the news at any point in the day and see what's going on. Right. Right. But we can do that The same exact purpose is filled in a much better way yeah. <laughs> by just going to a news website and looking at the headlines, right. right? And if you want them told to you because, you know, you don't want to read and that's too much work, they still have that too. They have the clips, sure. the entire idea of having a 24-hour news network. I,
1: You know what? I, I think news will still exist.
0: Oh, so. news has always existed and will always exist. No, I,
1: no, but I, but I mean television news in the same way because i think what it is is people as they sit down for dinner want to be able to watch a recap of the day which is exactly what dayline
0: is even that i would say that the more resilient news programs will be the ones where it's like a recap a summary news right because what you will be able to do is you'll be able to watch those and start them at any time what i mean is the Hours of meaningless free associating on what's going on. Just talking over news and not knowing what they're oh, you talking like, about.
1: like Fox News, like analysts, just...
0: Any of the channels. But right. what they do is they split up the screen into six parts and they yeah. say...
1: Okay, I've never watched. I don't think anyone watches
0: them. No, people watch that. And in 10 or 20 years, those people will not be watching they anymore. They'll be dead! <laughs> they will mostly be dead. <laughs> or at least a big portion of them will be. And so, the idea that you will have a screen where you get six people talking at you at once, telling you what to believe about this news thing, is not only useless anymore, I've always found it kind of weird, but you could even still get that functionality from the news comments because the people <laughs> in the comments true. will be just as ill informed <laughs> as the people who are talking on the news.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: You will continue to get content. Maybe you'll still even have television, or maybe it'll just transfer all over to online stuff. But the entire idea of having something running 24-7 so that you can just check on it whenever is now being replaced with the idea of something available 24-7, and so you can look at it whenever. And so it's the idea of content when you want it and not just always available. And the entire spirit of the internet is to have content available when you want it.
1: Well, there you go, folks. There's your yeah. miscellaneous. There's a miscellaneous topic of the about
0: the fall of the twenty-four hour news network. That was unplanned. That
1: that was real. That's
0: us. Yeah, that was. That's what this show
1: was all about.
0: It's, except it's, it's not. Well, really. except it's mostly about mostly about pictures. film, but you know, other talkies, talkies, talkies. You, uh, moving pictures. Well, thanks for listening. Tallcast
1: is a seasonal project. Recorded summers in Yakima, Washington, in Four Base Studio with Tom and Zach.